you're in the right place, so stay right where you are. In just a few seconds, you'll be listening to the Preppers and Makers podcast, the podcast of the future, the podcast of the survival technician, and the podcast for those middle-of-the-road people who still want to be alive after apocalypse. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Preppers and Makers podcast. I'm Greg and I'm glad to be talking to you today about food security. We'll briefly talk about storage and uh, things like cans, mason jars, dehydrators, that sort of stuff. Everybody knows that you need to have things stored for the event of an emergency. So, to that end, you're going to store things, you're going to rotate things, you're going to get a lot of canned goods, bagged goods. You're going to be able to have good fresh food if you keep a rotation going. And that means that you keep track of all of the dates on your cans or when you canned it or you dehydrated it and then rotate out for maximum freshness. After you get to the end of its lifespan, there's no sense in throwing it away. On a daily basis, you can go down to your... Uh, pantry in the basement, out in the shed, or in the storm cellar, lots of places that people keep these things, and use the old stuff to eat today. That way you don't have to worry too much about the loss of, uh, it. it's going to actually still be eaten, and you just eat it at the end of its storage life. If you eat at the end of its usable storage life, then you're actually still taking advantage of it, not throwing it away, and not losing any money from your investment that you have in this. Today's episode is really not going to be so much about that. I want to talk to you more about how you get your food. We're going to talk about gardening. And there's a lot of different things that go into gardening. If you're in a state of uh, the environment where you have really good topsoil and that sort of stuff, God bless you. But we, we live in Arkansas, and uh, it's occasionally called Rockinsaw, because if you take all the rocks out of a garden, all you have is a hole. We have an issue with being able to dig very deep. And I'm going to talk about a couple of methods that uh, one is absolutely suited for Arkansas and one kind of isn't, but it might work for you really well wherever you're at. Okay, so if you're going to garden, you got to think about the size of the plot. If you use one of the first two methods we're going to talk about, then for a family of four, you can actually provide enough food for livable use and storage on a 25 by 30 foot plot. And most people in the countryside, if you have an urban environment, uh, you may not have this. You may just have yard and various small areas. But we'll t we're going to talk about window box and porch gardening and container gardening too. But out in the countryside where you have some land and a piece of property that's just begging to be tilled up and used for a garden, then it doesn't have to be huge. But think about the context of uh, what kind of soil you've got and how much work you're going to have to put into it. And don't overdo yourself because it's better to have a small garden than pro that produces than a larger garden that you just gave up on because it breaks your back working on it. So don't take off, you know, take out more than you can uh, deal with when you're setting up your size. But really, honestly, <clears throat> as, as a bare minimum, a family of four can probably get by nicely on a 25 by 30. I would go bigger just for more storage space. 
you're going to want to fill your, uh, you're going to want to learn to dehydrate food. You're going to learn to can food, vacuum seal, that sort of stuff. And uh, you're going to be able to help fill up your basement with your own foods as well as the canned stuff that you supplement with. But if we're going to talk about uh, gardening in small areas, there's a couple of things that work really, really good. Now, there's a book called Small Scale Grain Raising by Jane Lodgson, or Logson. I, I guess it's Lodgson. And it's really great for working on grains. Uh, people do vegetable gardens on a fairly regular basis around me here, but not a lot of people do grains other than just corn. Uh, corn patches are really, really common. But if you're on a small acreage, you can plant uh, a wheat, winter barley, uh, those sort of things, and you can actually sprout your own wheat and barley and have a very nutritious grains that you've raised on your property and you know what's in them. So let's talk about the types of gardening that would work on really, really small. Well, not just really, really small. You can do this on large stuff too, but the, the goal is to get the most vegetables or product out of the, every square foot. The first one I want to talk to you about is called the French intensive and sometimes called double dug, where you just totally remove the first spades length, spades depth of soil or set it aside. You don't like take it away. You're going to be putting it back but you're going to go up to 10 inches deep and then you're going to dig into that soil kind of fluff it and aerate it with a uh with a with a fork with a, a, a tilling fork and you're going to put in compost so that the nutrients are re-released into the soil at a slow rate then you're going to put the other layer that you removed back on and kind of fluff the soil with the fork and move the compost into it and just blend it in now this gives you a really rich soil and you want to be careful about walking rows on this because wherever you walk that should be the only place you walk because you create you're actually compacting soil when you create paths across it and that's one of the problems with farm equipment if you're doing larger scale stuff the soil is is okay that way but Beyond the level that the discs or, or tines went in, it kind of compresses at the bottom, and then the roots can't go past that, and they'll grow sideways instead of deep. And the deeper they grow, the more lush they can grow underneath and branch out and get more nutrients. So the double-dug method requires a lot of work, and I don't think that that's really suitable in the Arkansas, uh, Ozark Mountains. It's really rocky here. It's clay and rock. And unless you've got some bottom land where all the black topsoil has been slowly over the years eroded down to with compost and soil and compost and soil, that's not going to be appropriate. But if you have one of those places, that might be just the ticket for you. You know, next to a river bottom or something like that would be great. The other method is a little bit more suitable for where we're at, but it's a different mindset. The next one is called the biointensive or square foot farming. Now, the hallmark of the biointensive gardening is that you're not actually preparing or working with the soil. You're basically creating a layer of soil on top. Okay, you're not, and you could probably um, fluff up, um, disc up, and tine up the soil below to help you with this, but the biointensive isn't so much about that it's about filling the raised beds like six inches of raised beds 
with a mixture of peat moss, vermiculite, and compost. And this is something that you either have to create the compost there and buy the other things, or you have to buy all of the above. But you don't have any seeds that were already in there, grass seeds, weed seeds, that sort of stuff, that's going to grow and have to be labor-intensive on removing. So it does provide a way to get the most out of each square foot because it's just packed with nutrients and soft and allows you to separate things. You don't have to worry about uh, compatible crops. You can just create little uh, pads a couple of square feet at a uh, at a time and border them with two befores or little borders or something of that nature. And it's like a little mini garden for each and every one of the things that you put out there. So you don't have to worry about whether they compete with what's next to them because you've divided the gardens and they're not next to anything. So that's kind of a cool idea. It's uh, It would be great if we could all do the French intensive gardening. But probably the best case scenario here in Arkansas would be to cut everything down uh, that's on your garden, uh, all the, the grass and so forth, and then till it in in fall after you're done with things. And then uh, with all of that stuff in the soil, lay out black plastic across it and weight it down at the edges so you're sealing that down. And every day that the sun is out, the sun will heat that and kill off any weeds that are starting to grow underneath or that are seeded, seeded in that soil. It's called solarizing. And the goal is to plastic coat it and let the sun do your weeding for you and kill things off so that this next spring, when you start out, you don't have to weed to start your garden. You can start right away and work with the things that are under the plastic. And some people will leave the plastic down and they will poke holes for seeding and watering. And that way, any seeds that the birds drop as they come by or anything of that nature is on the plastic and doesn't have to be dealt with in weeding. I've seen that work very well in places around where, you know, in, in the Arkansas soil being just rock and clay, that gives you the best chance at control. You still want to put some compost in. That's why we say cut it down before you solarize it and turn in all the grass and stuff that's there because that dead matter in there will provide nutrients for the next year's goodies. So there's a, a, a few ways you can deal with all of that <clears throat> in different types of soil. Not all of those will work everywhere, and you've got to decide what the size is and what works best for you. And you need the proper tools for it also because if you're going to do the French Intensive, uh, fork handle going into soil that's hard. I, I can imagine you'd have to have like a, a a welded pipe handle on the fork to keep it from breaking if you wanted to pull up the rocks and stuff around here. <clears throat> so that's a, a thought on the different types of ways to get it into the ground. Now let's talk about a few things on getting it out of the ground. Some things are pretty simple. If you have okra, you go out with a knife. You cut the, bottom, the, the stem where the okra's on the, the stalk, point it up in the, the air. Ta-da, you have okra. Easy peasy. And it's pretty easy to figure out that tomatoes should be pulled off of vines when they're, when they're ripe. Um, not a lot of tools involved in a lot of harvesting, except for just something to cut with and possibly something to process if you need to remove things. Now, for corn, you may need a couple of corn knives and some husking pegs, which, which strap on your palm. Uh, 
they help with like removing husks and that sort of thing. Uh, for wheat and other grains, if you're doing it really small scale, a hand scythe is perfect. Don't don't do it with a weed eater because it's going to mess up the the grain that falls over. Uh, cradle style scythe is really nice because it's it's a scythe with like these big fingers behind it. So when you cut, it's like a, a gentle hand behind it that the the wheat falls into. And as you end your your swipe over to the side and stop and pull back, it just bundles and piles things there for you to pick up off to the side. It's kind of cool. You know, high tech for the Middle Ages. And it still works just fine today because it fed them and it can feed us. Now, um, if you're going to work with... Uh, any of the wheats or barleys or grains like that sprouting them is a great way to get more nutrients more usable nutrients out of them let's say you take a, a quarter to a half cup per person of red winter wheat and uh, th this can be something from your stores and you may get it to feed your livestock let's say you get multi-purpose livestock uh and you add in some wheat to their grain, wheat and corn and barley and maybe a little sorghum. And ta-da, you've got food for a variety of the animals that will give you milk and later meat. But you can take some of the red winter wheat that you get in a 50-pound bag at the feed store, take a quarter to a half cup out per person, and put it on a sunny windowsill on a wet paper towel. Just kind of spread it out. And in 24 hours, it will begin to sprout. You get these little bitty uh, greenish, white and green shoots that come out of it. Then the nutrients packed in it are more readily available for digestion. And you get an interesting uh, uh, crunch taste to your cereal in the morning. When I first uh, tried that, I thought, man, I'm never going to like this. I'm, you know, morning cereal should not be greens. But it turns out pretty darn good. Um, sprouting anything actually makes the, uh, the the nutrients in it a lot more av available to you. So if you're going to uh, have these gardens outside, then you're probably going to have some problems with varmints, as we say down here in the south. Or if you're old enough to remember the uh, Yosemite Sam, everybody was a goldern varmint. Varmints in gardens include a lot of different things that you're going to have to deal with because you're going to have rabbits and raccoons and deer, armadillos. And, oh, God bless you. If you get an armadillo starting in there, he will root up everything down to the bottom root crops looking for insects that are with him. Uh, <clears throat> and there's some things that they do eat in your garden, but the, the most of the time he's just going to dig up your stuff looking for his stuff. But everybody else is going to eat your stuff. So... How do you deal with varmints? Well, first of all, you need a fence. It's just like neighbors. You can be the best neighbors in the world or worst neighbors. The most important thing for either is a good fence. A fence keeps you a good neighbor. And that deer needs to be a good neighbor to your cabbage. So if you get a sturdy fence that's tall enough to protect against deer, and they they can jump a six-foot fence. So you want to discourage them. It's not like you can stop them. They're almost like they can fly in some cases. But you definitely want to repel as many things as you can. And a fence that is kind of halfway buried all the way around the bottom or has rocks against it or is staked in will help you against things like the rabbits and the possums and the raccoons. 
to an extent. Once the raccoons find things, they will climb right over any fence. They are little ninja. It's going to happen. So to that end, you need the uh, the addition of possibly some cats that have been trained as good mousers. Because mice are another thing. <clears throat> so gophers uh, are kind of in the mousing size. If you don't like cats, try terriers. They're almost cat size. <laughs> I've had some cats that were bigger than terriers, but, you know. Point is, the terriers are, are good little varmint hunting dogs also. Uh, small dogs are great to get rid of mice, moles, gophers. They'll go into mole holes. And around a garden, you should set mole traps. I remember my grandfather had mole traps all the way around his garden. And occasionally would set mole deterrents, like little windmills with little boards on the, the when they went around it went clack 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 clack. So on any breezy day, the garden just sounded like a, a, a junior high band drum section. But it vibrated down the post into the ground and kept the moles away because they were sensitive enough. But he had mole traps, which are like spring-loaded little spike things that you dig and you press into the ground. And then when the, the mole comes through, if he comes underneath it, they they dig and they, they raise up a little mound. And that mound hits the little lever and the spikes go ka-chunk and kill the mole. If there's, if there's soft-hearted animal lovers out there, you're just going to have to buy your food. Because your animals will eat much of your food if you're out here in the in the real world. You can be an animal lover and not be a varmint lover. So, also, uh, patience and a twenty-two rifle. Uh, you, it'll help you with uh, uh, birds, squirrels, tunneling gophers. Yeah, you can shoot gophers. You just watch where the tunnels go, and you can you can figure them out. The uh, options may not be available to you if you live in the city, but think about this: uh, Gamo makes a high-powered air rifle that will take care of all of these varmints. I have one that uses a compressed gas tube that instead of a spring and it has the same kick as a 22, maybe a little bit more. And I can keep it on target scoped at 120 yards. And so I know that it will do the same job as a 22 and is legal in the cities, which in my opinion, there's really no difference when you get to that high a power in an air gun. So, um, natural pest killers are important uh, for like the little things because you're not going to take a 22 and shoot an aphid. They're little bitty things that eat the leaves off of some of your garden goodies. Uh, ladybugs, uh, lacewings, praying mantises. Occasionally you can get these from biological control uh, systems like buglogical.com. Bug That's hard to say. And home harvest. So you can actually buy bugs to kill your bugs. Which is kind of cool. Anyway, depending on your personal beliefs, pesticides uh, uh, to control insects are probably not a good idea unless you've got some really good natural versions of them. Uh, you know, long-term su survival and storage and that sort of stuff, just try to avoid the chemicals on the things you're going to put in your mouth anyway. And besides, those things can kill beneficial insects, which are good for you. Okay. Uh, large decoy like things like a big plastic owls on the on the fence they actually work. Um, reflective mylar balloons or strips and that sort of stuff. Uh, old compact discs, CDs, 
that you you know hang them up like wind chimes on on fishing line on uh, tree branches close to the area. These sort of things really mess with birds uh, as far as uh, d- distractions and uh, actually running them off in some cases. So these are really great ways to make a garden work. So let's talk a little bit about indoors. Indoors, you can do basically the same thing, but there's a lot less work involved on the soil prep because it's probably going to be in a container. Five-gallon buckets are the go-to for most people, but if you know some cattlemen in your area, there is a uh, a medicated supplement that they get in large uh, kind of tapered uh, tubs that are like a big plastic version of a wash tub, and uh, they're pretty close to the same size as a five-gallon bucket, only a little, little bit different shape. Those make great planters, and uh, you have the opportunity of being able to move them around, uh, put them in the sunlight, move them back out. They're just like a really big planter pot. Whichever you choose, uh, if you're going to do potatoes indoors, you have an option here, which is really kind of cool. If you use a five-gallon bucket size planter for potatoes, let's take four buckets, two of them, you want to use a great big hole saw or your jigsaw, ideally, and cut it into uh, oh three big window squares around it so that it's like a really open closed basket. And then slide it down inside another perfectly intact five-gallon bucket and then fill it with dirt. And about a third of the way up, put in your potatoes and then cover them with soil as appropriate and drill holes in the bottom for water so that the water can get out into whatever uh, catch tray you've got. But when you're growing your potatoes or onions or something and something like that, you can, if it's a spe- especially if it's a root crop like a potato, you slide the inside one out when they're ready to go, and you just reach into the soil from the windows and pull out the potatoes. You don't have to actually dig down from the top for all the potatoes. Kind of a cool way to harvest now, in five-gallon buckets, you can sprout potatoes. You can Potatoes and onions are really my, my two first recommendations because there is not another vegetable that has the that compares to onions being a superfood for the vitamins and minerals and all the goodness that you need in a veggie. So the uh, the onion, it's a it's a great thing to have. You can cut your uh, potatoes up in uh, parts of one potato can provide as many new potato uh, sprouts and plants as it has eyes because each eye can start a new potato plant but onions when they begin to get old and start to sprout in storage let's say you've got them in your cellar in bags and you haven't used them all by the time they start sprouting they have little green sprouts that come out of the top then you need to kind of disassemble the onion the outside is going to be kind of soft or looking like it's deflating, and take all that off, and down to the point that you should have probably, usually on an onion, about three new plants starting from the inside. And you'll separate them out carefully, and then cut the roots on the bottom where they all have some roots, and you replant them about a foot apart, and you've got new onion plants. So one old onion can make three new onions, and if you keep rotating like that, you keep creating from your own stock. So these are good options. And also, don't forget the window boxes. If you're going to have a sunny window, a porch, a place that you have a handrail, you can set up herb boxes or, you know, 
little uh, tubs or containers. You can screw them down to the handrail so they can't get knocked off accidentally. And you can, in that point, create herb gardens by planting out there and have all your seasonings and your veggies all together. Now, I hope that all of this has provided some sort of uh, idea for you of something you can do in your environment. This whole week, I've been getting a lot of questions on TikTok on my short little bites about this sort of subject, so I wanted to go into it much longer, and that's what today's episode has been about. So if you're coming from there, here's some answers, and if you didn't know about that, go see Survival Technician on TikTok, because I do regular bites of this sort of same thing. And tell your friends, we also have an opportunity to uh, support us if you would like we have a beacons page which you can find on the tiktok thing and i'll try to put a link around here soon the patreon is also available so you know support if you feel like it and thank you for being here and i'll talk to you the next time 